broadcast. This is your emergency broadcast system. It's time for the hashtag Biz with Beard and Ball podcast. Business as you've never heard before. This is an ACS Odds On production. Now, belt up and shut up. It's gonna be one bumpy flipping ride. May God be with you all. Thank you for taking a break from the REO Speedwagon. Heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend. Impeachment tour in D.C. <laughs> Only in the great U.S. of A. can a guy who looks like a face full of dicks and a guy who resembles an actual penis with ears go full money on a podcast for you. Yeah, baby, yeah! Friends, this week, guest hails all the way from across the pond, so that means this show can get barmy. If you want to hear future episodes, make sure you subscribe to the podcast at anchor.fm biz with beard and bald, or select one of the platforms that you enjoy listening to podcasts. And as if you needed any reminding, I am, of course, your host this week. I am the man whose head is nothing more than a solar panel for a sex machine, as well as the guy who would definitely argue. Who is the most gifted creation of God? Excuse me? I am the bald, and before we get into a shinwag with our guest, let me introduce to you my partner, joining me all the way from Atlanta, Georgia, the man whose identity is based around the fact that he actually has facial hair, and, and for future reference, he is the man who has fathered more children than our guests have dropped out of college. Inconceivable! Otherwise, we would all just realize what a boring and easily forgotten person he actually is, the beard. Boy, just just when I was going to say how much I missed you hosting, you just reminded me that I was you like an idiot missing the point. Touche, Beardo. In fact, I missed you so much. I want to ride it on a rock, then throw that rock at your furry face to remind you how much it hurts to miss you. <laughs> Slow down, bro. Uh, let me remind you that I need your love as much as you need more forehead. Ah, straight for the throat, I see, Beardo. I love it, and mine is smooth. I would go for your throat, but I can't seem to get by those chins. <laughs> but hey, seriously, bro, let's get to our guest before he loses the plot. This young man is the co-founder and CEO of Pearl Lemon Leads, a multi-award-winning lead generation agency in London. He started the grind of entrepreneurship from his mom's house, leading to the rapid growth, has acquired clients like Revolut, VistaJet, and even approached by Gartner. He has since gone on to invest in algorithmic, say that 10 times, beard. Oh, wait, you can't. It'll get stuck no, in your beard. <laughs> algorithmic trading, deep dive into nootropics and entrepreneur performance. And he is only, get this, friends, 21. Great Scott. He hails from the school of hard knocks. You know, I saw that. I think he's actually dropped out more times from college than I actually, the number of universities I attended, Beard. Um, <laughs> he is a fourth-time college dropout, <laughs> experienced years of depression, who hasn't, and contemplations of suicide, I do every day. This has led to all or nothing. That's his approach in life. When he's not running his agency, friends, you'll find him running marathons, gulping herbal teas, trying to automate his daily life, or playing with his chihuahua Tinkerbell. What the hell, bro? Are you Dinker, sure that's a chihuahua? Tinkerbell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and 
bearded people who think they're hipsters. Welcome <laughs> to Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald. I am again bald. Beard is on the other line. Mr. Kaz Ans, welcome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I think that was a beautiful introduction. You've uh, you managed to very beautifully mess up algorithmic trading, which is props to you. Hats off to you, sir. I am too smart. I am too smart. S-M-R-T. I mean, S-M-A-R-R-T. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, hey, Cheers. Yeah, hey, Cass. Welcome to the podcast. But excuse me if I find it hard to refer to you as Mr. when you're only 21. I mean, you could be my kid. <laughs> Or Beard's next wife. Why isn't this an awkward moment? <laughs> oh, good. I'm not even going to get involved in that one. Uh, you shouldn't. Trust me, bro. So, so Kaz, you do have an amazing success story. Um, but before we get into that, let's tell us about your business and how you got into the lead gen industry. Absolutely. Um, so Pearl Lemon Leads is a lead generation agency. It's based in, uh, in London, in the land of Team Biscuits. And... It really just started, I think, about eight or nine months ago. Funny enough, it's a very kind of almost cliche story, which started around a course. So I was in a position where I was doing marketing for this corp about, let's say, a year and a half ago. And over that span of time, I was in the typical kind of nine to five where it sucks your soul out, right? There's no, there's a glass ceiling, there's no room for growth. And that didn't really align with my kind of mantra of all in or nothing. So I was looking at different side gigs where I'd work from, let's say, I'd get up at 6 a.m., do the typical shebang, get ready, go to work, come home. And then I'd go for like another hour and a half run and then work all the way through to 1 a.m. to then start again. Um, and all of that kind of had to come together with like various audiobooks, podcasts, the whole shebang uh, to really just help me build up to this point now. Right. It's, it's really just a big, big learning curve. Um, dedicating hours upon hours of just pure grinding. I, I don't think there's anything else to really, or any other way to put it, to be honest. Oh. So it, it was kind of just the stepping stool for you, is what you're saying? Absolutely. I think so. The way the way it really, I guess, panned out for me was that I did this course in uh, email marketing. Kind of led me to go through various struggles over the next six months of trying to build an agency on the back end of having a nine to five job, and. Throughout that period, I was in touch with actually Deepak, the guy who released the course. And it was just one Sunday night, February, I think this year, where I, do, have you guys heard of the platform called Upwork by any chance? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was trying to get my profile yeah, approved on Upwork. Yeah, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yes, I've heard of Upwork, but um, the only thing that, that Beard has grown on the back end is a huge ass. <laughs> Scotty's on fire. But go ahead. So yeah, so Upwork is um it's I guess a platform online for freelancers to find work. And as anybody who's been on Upwork, you'll know that it's very hard to get your profile approved because it's got an absolute metric ton of freelancers and not enough people actually offering work. So they're very strict about who they approve. And I kept bashing my head against the wall trying to get my profile approved just to have, I guess, a funnel to have work come in. And after the 20th time, I asked uh, Deepak because he had some people who, who worked within our work that could potentially help me. And he was just impressed by the sheer fact that I've tried 20 times and failed successfully. Um, <laughs> and that really just led to, to then, I guess, us discussing a potential partnership. So a few hours later, 
I uh, I handed my uh, notice in that same morning to to Kate Box. I didn't want to come in that day, so I actually had to say that I had, and this is a bad one, I told him that I had an STD and I needed to get it fixed. No way. That's why I couldn't come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope they don't listen to this now. Um, <laughs> Ouch, town population, you, bro! And that led me to actually meet up with Deepak, and we, we just bootstrapped from there, right? Um, you know how many times you could use that excuse, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> what up, bum? <laughs> And yeah, it was it was a it was an interesting journey. I think most of the journey is really just bashing my head against the wall. If I'm honest, it's yeah. it's it's a matter of I guess going through pain and come out the other end. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Speaking out of coming out the other end, um, I apologize for my short friend's poor poor attempt at British humor. I mean, you know, you have to forgive him because he's always trying to steal a show. I just think it's a Napoleon complex or something like that. But you are considered an expert in your industry and a major influencer. Uh, you have sent tens of millions of emails, generate millions in revenue for your clients. So why would or should someone who has never utilized a service like yours consider it? That's a great question. And I think there's really different ways to look at it um, in the sense that the main, I guess, gap that we close is between having an empty or slow sales pipeline, or maybe you're just starting your business to the point of having meetings where you're speaking to somebody who's interested in your product or service. Now, this just in in that in the, I guess in that sentence it sounds like any typical kind of lead gen service, but where this becomes really interesting is where you then have meetings with the big boys, right? So if you, for example, sell digital marketing and you have a meeting with Twitter, that single contract alone is enough to cover all your different tea and biscuit costs for the next few years. Right. And that's where you can kind of look at having big big plays in terms of just leaping your business from step one to step ten, so to speak. Right. It it kind of just closes that gap and. That's where it's really, really interesting. Um, the other part of that is is also that we we get some really interesting meetings come in with people who may not necessarily be uh, in a position to buy, but they have networks that are expansive beyond belief. Um, one, for example, is actually a guy who I can't name him purely based on NDAs, but he's involved with 35 plus different businesses. And when you kind of build networks of people like that, it becomes interesting to start building ecosystems, right? Um, have you guys ever read, for example, the uh, Napoleon Hill's famous book, Think and Grow Rich? No. Ah, interesting. I definitely recommend it. Um, but one There's of the chapters- kind of off about a book titled Napoleon and Grow in the same sentence, yeah. but go ahead. <laughs> That's right up your Absolutely. So one of the chapters in that book talks about masterminds. And effectively, if I was to translate it into a more, I guess, a newer, new way of explaining it would be that it's a, it's an ecosystem of people from different industries, different specialities that exchange services between each other for necessarily not even a cost, but for the purpose of then helping each other grow rapidly. Right. Right. An example of this could be, let's say, one accountant, one uh, graphic designer, one web designer. And when you can kind of combine those skills together, it allows you to, on the back end of these relationships, bootstrap businesses, but then also kind of scale businesses past belief. Because if there's other, let's say there's a marketing guy in there, he can take you from step one to step 10 again. And that's where it becomes really, really interesting. Um, so it, it's, it's really important to, to have uh, and really build an ecosystem of different partners, I think, globally from different industries and locations, because it, it helps with understanding the markets, but also 
the most important thing is just growing your business, right? Yep. And that's where the focus can be really valuable. I very rarely disagree with my guest, Kaz. Um, I mean, obviously, but I am in a disagreeable mood. I mean, Kanye, me, greatest creation <laughs> on earth, yada, yada, yada. But when you suggest and sell yourself so short, <laughs> no pun intended, that <laughs> it sounds just like any other you know, gen lead service, I would beg to differ because I have to admit, and Beard, you can chime in if you disagree, you are the, the only Gen Y founding service, founder of service that I know that started with A and STD on Twitter. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, let's move this thing along. But Kaz, we all know, um, at least I think most of us know, this show isn't about Beard, but you have fans. And unlike you, he has none. So it would be a lie if I suggested that he did. In fact, Kaz, I have a question for you. You ready? Yeah, absolutely. Would you, th this may shock you based on the profile picture that you saw, but um, <laughs> would you believe that more pe people have seen Donald Trump's tax returns than there are that tune in and listen to Chewbacca? You are fake news. <laughs> you you refer to me one. as Chewbacca, right? <laughs> Tell us, as and our listeners, uh, that before jumping into a hiring firm to generate leads, what are three things, bro? What are three things they need to understand about their business first um, that so many of us businesses and businessmen and, and entrepreneurs seem to miss? Absolutely. So I think I'm going to start off with something that kind of is almost expected, but not in the sense that what is your unique selling point? Now, I think one thing I noticed across every business almost ever that kind of almost seemed to miss it is their unique selling point. 99% um, of businesses that we've worked with, their unique selling points tend to be things like price or quality or speed. But I would argue that's not a unique selling point because anybody can kind of talk about the quality and whatnot. Um, so what helps you kind of, I guess, really differentiate yourself is the unique selling point. And that's what makes your brand unlike any other. It's, it's, it's about having that unique component. Um, so it's definitely really, really important to nail down upon that. For example, if you're, let's say, I don't know, a gym, as an example, right? Your unique selling point can be that maybe you offer, I don't know, headphones of every machine that you work on or free, I don't know, Gatorade, whatever it may be, right? Not sponsored by Gatorade, by the way. Um, but, but there's different things that you need to bear in mind when it comes to a USB. Because if you're just going to reach out to somebody and say, hey, you know, we offer gym services, would you be interested? That's not going to grab their attention. Right. And therefore, it's not going to lead to any actual direct interest. It's not going to make them leave the call or the engagement thinking, wow, I was actually quite impressed with what they do. I actually you know, really liked their potential maybe values or mission or just the service at the end yeah. of the day. Well, you're, you're, so well you, by doing that, you're just, uh, well, you're just marketing towards the, your industry. You're not marketing towards yourself, right? Exactly. Exactly. You know, and we, we, we've had guests on before and branding people that, you know, and that is exactly right. I think it's very important that you have to, what's that differentiator? I can't even say that, uh, between you and your competition <laughs> within your industry. I know. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, and Scott likes to rip on my populator, but he knows that if shit hits the fan, nobody's lining up behind the bald guy. It's, it's that, the guy that, with the beard. That, so, hey, that's because you know. <laughs> they're underneath me lifting me up on their shoulders in celebratory <laughs> yeah. fashion. Well, Cass, I mean, I use a proprietary 
proprietary tool to get a detailed brief for like B2B customers. And, and that's not a razor, Kaz. Uh, well, tell us your <laughs> thoughts on the importance, because you've kind of touched on this, you know, not only for B2B lead generation, but how important is it to every business to truly understand their customer segments, like the profile, designation, function, business size, uh, peculiarities, if any? Absolutely. Um, in terms of customer segments, I'd argue that probably customer segmentation is one of the biggest factors when you're doing sales prior to the actual meeting to have the difference between having, let's say, 10 meetings this upcoming week of people who are ready to buy versus 10 people who weren't ready to buy, maybe didn't have any money. Mm. Maybe your product just doesn't fit to what they they actually do, for example, or who they are within the business. And that just becomes a waste of time. So if you have the right segmentation, then you can kind of break that difference, right? And a few of the things that I noticed, for example, with let's say function, right? It's very unique to every business in the sense that if we talk about human resources, which is HR, HR is one of, typically one of the hardest places to penetrate. It's, it's really difficult. And their roles are very split between recruitment, between acquisition, between, for example, keeping the employees happy. So you have to be very deep with segmentation because if you if you have a software that, let's say, improves uh, employee retention and you reach out to the recruitment guys, they're not going to even want to have a meeting with you. Right. So you have to be really, really just sniper, sniper targeted in terms of the approach and who you're going after. Now, DMs, as everybody knows, everybody talks about really massively important decision makers, because if you are trying to sell to somebody who isn't DM, then you're just trying to sell to somebody who can't even give you a yes. And even if they're sold, they might not do your product justice. So you can actually skip sales cycles and months of time if it's an enterprise, if you can just get directly to the DMs, which is why it's really important to be relationship focused. Um, the other thing that I noticed in the lead gen space that everybody tries to do, but you need to really change it, is the personalization. So what everybody tends to do is they tend to do like a blanket email where they'll just send everybody kind of, you know, hey, I'm Kaz, we do this, these are case studies, can we have a chat? Mm -hmm. And if it's not personal, if it doesn't relate to who they are or what they're interested in, they're just going to ignore it. It's just going to go to the spam, spam folder straight away. Whereas if it's something that's kind of almost intimate with them, right? For example, if somebody recently posted an article about, you know, using their software to, I don't know, break the real estate industry. If you mention that article and something that they specifically said, it shows that you are already kind of a few steps ahead with the rapport. You already are personal to them. You care about them. You look into what they do. You, you're there to actually help them specifically rather than just send a blanket email. And that's why it, it's really important to focus on relationships rather than just pure quantity. Well, I think a lot of people um, get caught up in, you know, I have to do so much. They get caught up in the numbers game and it is a numbers mm. game, but it's, you know, I always tell people when they bring us in for like sales consulting and I was like, you know, here, here's the deal. I mean, you can play the numbers game and you can be fine, right? You can make 50 calls a day, you know, mm -hmm. to talk to 20 people to maybe, you know, get, you know, five appointments set up and you may get, maybe get a sale. I said, my job is to narrow that down from 50 calls a day to maybe 20 to 15 to set up 10 to 12 appointments a day, you know, really, you know, 
turn over that client where you have a better opportunity to close on six, 60% of that. That's the difference. I mean, that's all about being prepared at the very beginning, right? If you had, you know, six hours mm -hmm. to shave your head, uh, you know, spend five hours sharpening your razor, right? Rather than exactly. just sitting there and <laughs> hacking away. Well, because the most efficient process always wins, uh, you're absolutely right, Beard. I would probably have uh, <laughs> five to six hours left over from my successful sales day to do just that. Exactly. Sharpen my <laughs> or if you're but hey, man, I don't want I don't want to label you or put you in a box. Um, yeah. But here's the deal: um, there's no denying the amount of success that you've had at such a young age with lead gen. So. Um, there's really no way around it to, to just, you know, then say that you've had a lot of success, um, just say up to or at 21 <laughs> years of age, but, uh, could you share a success story, uh, or even a case study with someone with our listeners, uh, that you've worked with? Absolutely. So I guess there's a few different examples I could go into. I'll probably just jump into two where I can't name the companies, but I can name, I guess, how I did it and yeah, what right. got us there. Um, so, for example, or even if I talk about the big names like Revolut, Gartner, all those sort of names, the reason they ever found us, which is something that you guys have probably talked about before, was just brand. And when it comes to brand, it was not just things like the USB, but it's actually just the sheer amount of actual content. And how, I guess, we, we, we had to sit down and look at how can we scale content in such a way that isn't too consuming on time, but still kind of has the value and the it position as somebody who's credible within the market right and it all led to just one word which is documentation which meant that every time that we had an idea every time that um we had i guess an innovation within the business every time that we even just noticed that we need to change our approach even with client relationship we would just stop for a minute get our phone out and just record a two three four five minute video and that changed it from something that you have to kind of almost script where you spend 10 minutes preparing a script or 20, then preparing your background, then, you know, getting the right thumbnails. You can take that hour into something that's 10 minutes on the spur of the moment on that inspiration and scale it from there. And that led us to literally release hundreds of videos very, very, very quickly across all the channels. Um, so brand was the biggest thing for bringing these people to us. Now, when it came to actual delivery, um, one thing that was a game changer for us, which is via LinkedIn, was targeting based on interests. Now, on LinkedIn, you can't actually target based on somebody who, let's say, is interested in a particular topic, but you can target in the sense that you can find people. Let's say, for example, Stu is interested in razors, right? He might be in a LinkedIn group to do razors. And when you have that specific piece of information about someone that isn't on their profile, that isn't something that you can just find via sales navigator for example or even on google then you can kind of scale that operation and that's what helped us book meetings with the likes of twitter for example for a property investment company now those deal sizes are in the hundreds of thousands and millions sometimes so that's why it's, it's really important to look at extra layers of personalization extra layers of how can i make what i say to this person actually very intimate and it was look, looking at LinkedIn groups and what interests they have to then see how we can kind of leverage that. And yeah, yeah, I think that's spot on. One thing actually I will add to that, that we're trying very recently, that's working really well for us, is a new approach <coughs> to marketing, which is brand partnerships. 
And if I'm kind of looping back to my earlier point about ecosystems, what we're actually doing at the moment is we reach out to the top tools like softwares on the market that we use in our space. In our in our space, for example, would be Legion, right? The people we want to kind of have meetings with are salespeople and marketing folk. And then the question becomes, so what do salespeople and marketing folk use? Well, they'll use the likes of any email marketing tools, maybe uh, email validation tools and other content around that space. So if we tailor it, if we tailor partnerships to these guys where we'll have a call with one of the management and that's quite easy to do through support. You can literally just go into a website, ask for a support email and then email and say, hey, can I speak to this person or anyone who's relevant to partnerships? Right. Now, once you book a meeting with them, you can then push to have partnerships of the likes of doing a video with them. You can have a guest post on their website. And one thing that's really useful as well is to be become one of their case studies, because this then means that you not only have endorsement from this company and it builds your credibility, but also you get to go on their website, which is exposed to thousands, if not hundreds of hundreds thousands of, of your. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so we're doing this with really the biggest companies out there at the moment. Um, for email, we, we've done this with Lemnist and Mailshake. Uh, no, sorry, with Woodpecker, and we're in the process of Mailshake. Um, do you guys know Never Bounce by any chance? Never Bounce? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, what is it? It's just an email validation tool. So it's, okay. it's somewhere where you can just check if an email is valid. But they have hundreds of thousands of users. And that literally just took a, a simple phone call of building a relationship with somebody and building that brand partnership so that you can kind of scale the exposure for very low cost, very cheap and very easy. I think he just came up with a new checking product for like one of the major banks. <laughs> that, would be, that would be a nice little marketing branding tool. Never bounce. Never bounce, never bounce. It's How do you like bounce. that? Not never, is, it, is it never bounce? Oh, it's not bounce? Is it never bounce? Yeah, wow. it's never bounce. Like Okay, you, so you're right. I, I said it wrong. Well, <laughs> hey, tell us something the audience doesn't already know. know. Right? <laughs> uh, well, before Scott alienates every bearded listener we have, let, let's take a quick little break, all right? Beard, there's nothing wrong with beards, bro. Beards are cool. It's who the beard is on. Who's the problem? <laughs> all right. In this case, being you, then. I know. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll be right back after a short break from our sponsors, and that'll give Scott some time to take the cookies out of the oven in his little treehouse he has. So we'll be right back. Can I get a Biz with Beard and Bald podcast friends, and joining us from the land of Brexit is our guest, Mr. Kaz Anz. And of course, joining Mr. Anz is your beautiful, bald, shiny, dreamy co host, Bald. And then, of course, the gentleman who looks like a Wookiee that ha- well, gentleman, I use that term loosely, who looks like <laughs> a Wookiee that had some of its face waxed, Mr. Beard. <laughs> Scott, I probably should have warned Cass before coming on the show that you'd need a big bottle of Purell beside him with all the shit that comes out of your mouth. But um, <laughs> since you brought up Brexit, Scott, at least uh, it can come out of my mouth, <laughs> it doesn't get caught up on the skin. This is our guest is from over the pond, and you brought up Brexit. Uh, what do you cast think about that Brexit? I mean, I I haven't seen so many Brits pull out since Taylor Swift was uh, dating. So, 
Oh, behave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, baby! Yeah. Um, that, that's a very fun point, and I think Taylor Swift probably wouldn't appreciate that, so let's not tell her that this happened. <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, with Brexit, I can't say much about it in the sense that it doesn't affect the the marketing space that we work within it's more to do with products right so right. from a business standpoint there is no real massive effect that i need to worry about and it's also the fact that most of the people that we work with are either yanks like yourselves or maybe they're in in, in parts of asia um so it's not a massive difference um and I guess, uh, to be frank with you, I don't give a shit either, if I'm honest. Like, <laughs> I don't pay attention. I didn't vote. I don't watch the news. I, I always, I don't know. I just don't pay attention to it. I guess the focus is really on, on listening to your podcast. Well, Kaz, <laughs> let's, uh, and you've agreed graciously and with, with complete humility, but uh, ahead of the show, let's take a personal turn if we can. Um, I mentioned in the intro that you hit rock bottom um, when you were in college uh, or, or multiple times in college uh you're a four-time college dropout and uh i'm gonna have a couple of my kids listen to this for sure but uh can you describe to my children and the rest of our listeners what that point of rock bottom looked like felt like and uh what did you do when you arrived there absolutely so i guess i'd put into two words one is empty it's a very empty place because you don't really know what to do or how to do it you don't even know where you stand and i guess rock bottom is a very purposeless if that's even a word place um it's 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 the, the, you don't really know it's tough it's even tough to put into words to be honest because it's so empty there's like there's nothing in there it's just abyss you have no motivation you don't even really have much emotions in that i guess space and you have two options which is to either go in a direction where you're going to improve or go near the other direction where it's kind of the end of the road. And it, it's really tough. I mean, I, I actually dropped out four times purely because every time I kept trying to just make my parents happy. I kept trying to just, you know, do what they wanted me to do, which is the typical route of, hey, you know, get your education, um, follow, I guess, the path that we want you to follow and take it from there. But every time that I tried to rejoin and I guess make them happy it just never ended right like I just I wasn't interested I wasn't I didn't feel engaged when I went to those classes so it, it really just led me to a downward spiral of I'm trying to do what makes my parents happy I'm not happy and so I can't even continue what I'm trying to do and so I've got nothing left I can't make my parents happy I can't make myself happy what, what is next and so the, the way I guess what, what looked like for me was rice they're going to say, what the fuck, why rice? Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so the last time that I actually dropped out, I, uh, I I had a really bad relationship with my parents. They actually kicked me out with no belongings. And so at that point, I had no money, no belongings, no clothes, nowhere to live. It, it was tough. And the reason it looked like rice is because at that point, I, I thought, okay, well, first things first, I need to eat. So I borrowed literally just a few pounds from my friend and I went to Tesco, which is, I guess, the equivalent of Walmart of what you guys have. And I bought 10 kilo bag of own brand, cheap, cheap, cheap value rice. And I had to carry that rice, not even being able to afford like a bus or anything. I had to carry that rice on my back, back to, to my friend's house because that's where I was going to stay. 
So the way it looked like was no sauces, no spices, rice. Life in itself was just very bland, as well as my taste buds. Um, and then from that point on, I I followed, thankfully, because we're in a digital world now, I, I followed what I could find online, which is even old recordings of Earl Nightingale, who is an old kind of like business, almost mindset coach. And one of the things that I learned was that you need to focus on what you can do rather than what you can't do. And it's very easy when you're at rock bottom to loop and circle round into things that you can't do. It's like, it's always negative. It's always like, oh, I want to get a job. Oh, I can't do it. Why can't I do it? I don't know. I just don't, I don't, I don't have the motivation. But if you can kind of break that loop and just one simple task at a time, look at what you can do, then you can kind of slowly start to overcome that struggle. And that's where I started, literally just podcasts like this one, um, audiobooks, just anything that would help me take in information that would relate to things that I know are going to be engaging, that I know are going to help me get myself back on my feet, because life is always going to beat you back down to the floor. But it's about how high you get back up. And that's where... Well, what's up? <laughs> yeah, no, we'll talk about that because you you hit rock bottom, right? And um, mm. you know, and I don't think people get that. And, and I, and, you know, and I have misunderstood what that actually means, right? And I would sit there and say, you know, 15 years ago, when I hear someone talk about that, I I, I totally didn't get it. I said, well, you know, I thought it was about just being sad, you know, and you just get over it and you get up and you buck up, or and it's not. It's 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 a sickness. It is uh, debilitating. Mm. Um, like you said, you, you don't feel like you can do anything right and you don't want to do anything right because every time you try, you seem to fail. Um, and, and it's, and it's, it's, it's a really, really odd and scary feeling. Um, well, not everybody can go on Oprah and jump on a couch either. <laughs> yeah. Right. Mm. <laughs> uh, but you know, since we are discussing, you know, we were discussing off the air, some of the mental challenges you faced. Um, you hit rock bottom. So what motivated you to do what you do and how, how do you stay on track now? I think that's a really good question. So I guess in terms of what motivates me, it really all loops back to the worst day of my life, I'd argue, which is there, there was this point, I guess, in, in throughout the depression kind of suicidal stages where I had this really bad, like lucid nightmare kind of dream where I watched myself and my family all get killed. And I remember waking up, just tears, just pouring down my eyes through my sleep. Where I, I couldn't even wake up though, which was the issue because it was like a, uh, I had like sleep paralysis. So I watched it happen for hours and hours. And after that point, I realized that I, I didn't want to sleep anymore. So I went and I laid down in the corridor like 3 a.m. just on the floor, just crying and crying. Like it was just painful, it was scary. And I remember at one point just, standing up and just going to the bathroom mirror and just looking at myself and thinking if this is what life is like then there's really just no point to my next breath it's a waste like i'm not helping anybody i'm not doing anything right and so when i kind of had that realization that unless i aim for the top unless i shoot for the stars at any stage no matter what stage at life i'm at unless i keep shooting for the stars and constantly kind of updating where i'm heading and what direction i'm heading then then things will be all right because otherwise as i said there's no point to my next breath there's okay. there's just there's no reason to to keep going so you have to kind of find that that reason and in my case it was 
I guess still trying to build some sort of relationship with my parents, but more importantly, just to have a reason to live. Um, because it's, it's the, I think the best way I can describe depression is just, it's realizing that every day is exactly the same unless you make it different. Because it's that kind of, it's that realization that, hey, I'm going to wake up at eight, I'm going to go do this, I'm going to go to work, I'm going to come home, I'm going to watch TV, I'm going to make cookies. And if you realize it's exactly the same, it, it becomes immensely boring if you don't know where you're heading, because that's purposelessness. Well, what and about so, surrounding yourself yeah. with the right people too? I mean, if it's hard to break out of that if the people around you don't believe in you and the people around you are toxic. <laughs> I mean, wouldn't you agree? To, I mean, how hard is it to remove the, those type of people out of your life? Absolutely. I mean, I think the hard part, I would argue the hard part is not removing them out of your life. The hard part is finding people who are in that mindset that you just described. Because, and that, that's only speaking from my own experience. I mean, I grew up in Barking and Dagenham, which is the worst area in the whole UK, right? Like the day I moved out of that area, someone got killed on my own street, yeah. It's a really, really, really bad place. And so cutting those people off wasn't hard because when you're, I guess, really low and you're down in the dumps, isolation is easy. You feel like isolation is the easy way out, just cutting yourself away from everybody. But to find people, especially when you're in that state, is really tough. Um, find people who are exactly like somebody who you want to be. And in my case, it was just one of my old friends who was just into like meditation, just self-development. And he would just talk about all the time how, you know, today I did a bit of a yoga, I did a bit of meditation, I feel so much better. It's it's making me realize what I want to achieve. And so I just followed kind of what I saw that was good in him, right? Just followed right. baby steps just to see what I can kind of develop on my life. And that slowly expanded into so many different areas. I mean, that's why I'm so interested in nootropics now, which are simply just like legal brain drugs. And that can be things like herbs, it, it can be even synthetic things, um, even some medicines, but it's about boosting performance. And that all branched out from, from hitting a low point and trying to see how I can expand in every area of my life. Oh. This is serious shit, Kaz. Um, <laughs> I, I do want to keep it going. And so while I let uh, beer go order another free chocolate mocha bullshit from Starbucks, um, <laughs> I would just like to ask if you could uh, – if if I or Beard or our listeners uh, could learn just three things um, about you that aligns with this topic we're on, what and, and how they can apply it to their own life, what would those three things be and why? Absolutely, I think the biggest thing for me, and I I spent about two hours thinking coming up with this quote. It's it's this: perseverance in pain it breeds a beast in your brain, and that really relates to the fact that you have to have war wounds. You have to get shot. You have to get slapped. You have to get punched in the face to realize what that feels like, to see that there's two ends of the spectrum. And so that gives you a direction to head in. I mean, to be honest, I'm only 21, right? And I've got a lot of kind of friends now who go to uni and so many of them are just like, hey, I'm doing this course, but I, d I don't know what I'm going to do after that. And I can really sympathize with that because it hurts to not know what purpose you have. But then I kind of thought back to myself and I realized that I don't even know what I'm going to be doing in a few years. I only know what direction I'm heading in. And it's a matter of finding your direction and going through all those painful points 
to give you, I guess, a measuring, a measuring, a bearing almost, a measure, a metric of right. what is good and what is bad. And so that allows you to pick a direction to head in. Um, so that's probably the first thing I'd say. The second thing is simply just action and speed. So action is a very cliche thing. I don't even want to talk about it, but it really is just as simple as that. It's action will lead you to exactly where you want to go to. Um, it's very easy to, I guess, think about all the things you need to do, but if you can kind of just break them down, like if you have a big task and you break it down to 10 small tasks, something that's more bearable for your brain um, and then focus on the speed more than just getting it perfect, that will help kind of accelerate the, just the growth that you have personally. Speed always, I guess, trumps quality, in my opinion, um, mm. in the sense that if, if we both have, let's say, if we both have a launch a marketing campaign, right, we have a month to do it, and you, for example, go for a perfection approach, and somebody else goes for a speed approach, the person who does the speed approach, within the first week, will already have it launched and running, whereas the person who's going for perfection will take four weeks to do it. Mm. But within that, within that four weeks, the person that went for speed did it once, fucked up, did it a second time, fucked up, I got better. And by the third time, they'd learned so much more than what you can learn in that month than the person who went for perfection that they just, by, by the fourth week, the, the person who went for speed just trumped the person who went for quality. Right. Because their quality, in the end, with that speed, just gave them that edge. Hmm. Which speed kind of leads... Kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, that too. Um, and that leads me, I guess, to, to the third point, which is the MVP mindset. And it's really just a matter of everything that you ever do, treat it as an MVP, minimum viable product. So this is even in business, right? It's like if, if you want to launch, let's say, uh, a social media strategy for your company, you've never done social media before. Don't worry about getting that perfect backdrop or that perfect 10 videos or that perfect series. Just start pumping out one, one sentence things on social right. media. Just get started. Yeah. Because... If you send out, let's say, 10 posts in that first week and you see that everybody resonates, even if it's just two people, two people resonated with your second post, you know that that's the direction that you need to head in. And then you yeah. can kind of build upon that, again, using the MVP mindset, which then just, yeah. you just achieve so much more in such a short amount of time compared to perfection and quality. I, I absolutely agree. I mean, when we started this, and if you go back to our first episode, I mean, that's what we did. I mean, Scott and I had no idea what we were doing. I mean, we mentioned the podcast and we're both like, okay, what is a podcast? What should we do on? And we did it. <laughs> and that's how we did. It. We just jumped in and did it. And one of our good friends, uh, Mr. Todd locks, who was a, uh, you know, he, he's a CEO owner of his own company. Um, he's been trying to launch a podcast or he's, he's going to be launching a podcast, he's been, but he's been working on it for like six months. He's, and he, he calls me for advice and I love Todd to death. And, uh, you know, and I love mm. having these conversations with him. And, you know, I just said, Todd, just, just fucking do it, man. Just quit jacking around and just do one. It, it's it's going to be okay. You know what I mean? Because you're going to learn from that. You're trying to perfect it too much. It's not that difficult. Get the microphone on, get a guest, start recording, and then go from there. Agreed. Simple. Agreed. Yeah. You, you need that beginning stage to kind of scale it from there. Yeah. And that's why it's really important to just get started. Yeah. Okay, I mean, we, we, we've talked about depression and we've been kind of, you know, serious about this. And, and depression is a very serious uh, topic, especially, uh, you know, with younger people and being that you, you know, you're only 21, so you're quite young. Um, and I think a lot of it is because we are a society now of instant gratification, right? We have the, 
uh, it, it, we want it now, right? And if it doesn't happen now, mm. it, it comes out much for, harder for us to handle and deal with. What kind of advice can you give uh, the younger generation who went through the same thing with you that you did when you were contemplating suicide and you know major depression? Mm. I think it, it kind of begins with realizing that strength, well, with depression is a strength, right? I, I would argue that the pain that you feel, the emptiness that you feel is a strength because it then lets you realize that if you can kind of struggle through this and you can make it out the other end, you have no limits to, even leading to gratification, you have no limit to how much you can gratify yourself through achievements, through accomplishments, through even just what you build. So you, you really need to look at it as you're hitting a low point to realize and start to value what life actually is and what it gives you and to realize that you only do have one life and when you can kind of hone on on that hone into that realization that that mindset that what i'm going through is only going to make me stronger then you can kind of try and take baby steps that get better now this isn't i guess a blanket thing it's not easy for everyone to, to take that in because there's different factors for why you might have depression um in my case it was something i had from childhood and it really just related to issues of, you know, having no friends and having bad relationships with my family. So I didn't really have anyone around for me. And it's because it's very specific to each person. You have to kind of really take a moment to to think back about why it is that you feel that way. What is the reasons why and how can you kind of reassess where you're at to then try and make baby steps? I mean, in my case, it took months and really just years to actually pull myself out um in total it was about four years i think where i kept almost coming out and then i dipped again and almost coming out and i dipped again mm -hmm. um but when you kind of slowly find the strength and the fear that you have of what what is happening to me how can i take over then you kind of then look at different ways of executing positive things to help boost you right um for example you might look at you know finding new people to meet up with to that share a positive mindset that can help you pull you out um in my case i use things like meetup.com i don't know if you guys use that in the states but it's literally just a matter of people hosting a meetup of particular topics whether it's pottery whether it's photography whether it's business um but then you can slowly start to meet people that are in similar mindset as you that you mm -hmm. likely may not even find in your local area, like just easily accessible. And then you can kind of start to build your circle. And that's where with other people, you can build upon your mindset. Um, and once you hit that first achievement, then you become to kind of, you start going on a roll, right? It's like a domino effect. If you can get out and do your first ever thing after being in the dumps, like just tidy your room, for example then it has a, a domino effect with the day after you might tidy your room, but also you might cook for yourself. Right. You might then look at one more extra thing to do. And then you slowly build that up over time. And that happens even naturally with dopamine. So it's, it's really good to do that. Small Yeah, exactly. this, really, this really hits home with me. So I, I would like to have you expand upon what you've already shared in this regard. And, and in no way am I suggesting when, where, why, how you entered you know depression but what i do want to know and what i want you to share for parents out there um for a child going through you know an adolescent stage in their life mm. 
how do they know that it is depression? So I guess before you answer that, were you clinically diagnosed with depression or is it just the gift of wisdom that allowed you to identify that's what it was and and that's what you were struggling with? Because I just see that these kids don't even know that that's what it is and then they don't get the right help or or listen to things like what you're sharing today um, to understand what the what what potential steps there may be to get through it. Could you elaborate a little bit more? Absolutely. Um, or better in my yet, case, share with your parents. Like if you could, if you could put it in yeah. those terms, you, you're speaking to a parent and, the, and now about what you experienced then. Um, what what would you share and how would you share it to a parent and even your parents if it makes it easier to articulate? Mm. I think the first way of knowing if it's, I guess, a part of depression is isolation and self-destruction. So. If, for example, you're a parent and you've got a child and you find that maybe all day long they spend inside their room, they don't want to go out, they don't want to even go to the shops, they, they don't want to do anything, It, but then potentially they choose to go on their phone, right? I find that very common that kids will try and just use their phones as escapism, play video games, that's what I did a lot when I was younger, um, just watch YouTube videos all the time. It's hard to tell the difference between addiction and depression, <laughs> if I'm honest. But when you see your child and you notice that they're intentionally isolating themselves, for example, at dinner, they might not even say anything. They'll be insanely quiet. Um, if it's any family event, even a holiday, potentially, if they're really just completely mentally, emotionally, physically isolated from everyone else, then that would be a first pointer to, to look out for. And uh, in my case, I can't say that it was wisdom or clinical was a bit of both in the sense that I was diagnosed with it um, on different occasions and the first steps that helped me to look at different things and different mindsets was uh, I did a lot of therapy in my time and there was one particular therapist who focused on hypnotherapy and NLP which is neuro-linguistic programming and that type of therapy I found helped me the most because it helped me kind of deep dive into the dark points within my own mind and just to understand them better they kind of put you in a mental state where you're more open to ideas uh, in general and so when you can kind of reassess how you feel and then you may have an idea about how you should be feeling then you're more suggestible to actually implementing that new way of thinking so that's what really helped me I found um, and a lot of it is just knowing that you've got somebody there I mean, in my case, it took a long time as well because I had a bad relationship with my parents. I actually didn't live with my parents for quite a while from the age of, I think it was 15 or 16. Hmm. I just, I, I had nobody. I had no friends because I was always bullied in school, which kind of fucked me up more. And then no parents, no family, no friends. Um, I'm actually originally an immigrant as well from Lithuania. So 100% of my family was abroad. Like I literally had nobody. And the one thing that helped me was just, that one person so it was either that one friend that I spoke about his name is Romus um or in my case it also is the therapist yeah. um it, it's it's just different it's different for everyone I'd say but you want to look at key point of key pointers of isolation maybe even self-destruction and then look at how you can help them and it's it's never about forcing I'd say anyone to do anything like don't force your kids to go to therapy if they don't want to 
but you do need to position it in a way that they want to do it, right? You need to position right. it in the sense that it's going to help them. Because so if, it, if it, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, please. Can you get- no, I, and I didn't mean to cut you off, but I, I think this is a good segue to see what the answer is. Um, I haven't heard you, and I hope this isn't out of line, but I haven't heard you speak to in any way what your relationship with your family and your parents is now. It, it, is there a relationship? Is it stronger? It's definitely a lot stronger now, yeah. Um, it only really started to begin, I guess, existing um, after I saw that particular therapist with the neurolinguistic programming. Um, at that point, I started to realize more and more that at the end of the day, this is still my mom. And because I had that earlier mindset of there's no point to my next breath unless I go for the top, I wouldn't even have a breath if it wasn't for my mom. And so regardless of what she had done in my past to me, regardless of any issues I might have with them or what relationship my relationship is with them now, she is still my mom. She is still the lady that gave birth to me and that looked after me when I had nothing. Forgiveness is a powerful thing, isn't it? Exactly, exactly. And well, What are you most yeah. grateful for, Cass? Well, I'd, I'd kind of throw a curveball here and say that the most grateful thing I am for is those exact things that I mentioned. The depression, okay. the the contemplations of suicide, the struggles, the rock bottom, all of that. I think that's the thing I'm most grateful for because if it wasn't for those events and those struggles, I would not be who I am today. I would not be able to have the mindset or the mental capacity or strength to then get up and as you guys know in business, you're bashing your head against the wall every single day, right? Mm-hmm. You've got a daily headache to take out. You've got a daily fire to put out. Um, so if it wasn't for the pain and to, if it wasn't the ability to experience that high of a pain, then I wouldn't be able to do what I do now. And if I wasn't able to do what I do now, then I would still be in that same mindset of what is the point to life? So I what have a purpose. is working towards right now and what is the vision for that? I think it's it's a tough one to say because I just know what direction I'm heading in. I guess my moonshots, I've got a few weird ones, right? So <laughs> the, the the normal, I guess the normal person, Cass, is, is thinking that, you know, I want to build an empire. I want to have a brand. Well, what I want to do is outlive my own life, right? Now, this is going to get very weirdly deep. I want to outlive my own life. And I actually, on many occasions, sat back and thought, okay, so how how do I execute this? How do you outlive your own life? And you've got the typical biological pieces, which is like, you know, technology will save me, blah, blah, blah. But then you've got two other methods that I could find that you could outlive your own life in a positive way for everyone around you. And the first one was either achieving something or doing something or inventing something that kind of lives past past you and you know your your actual lifetime that still brings kind of happiness benefits whatever it may be to the people of earth and i mean examples of this are like even steve jobs having apple around right even though he's dead everyone still knows that as steve mm-hmm. jobs's company so he's kind of almost nailed that in the sense that it's legacy it's it's how do you outlive your life and in his case it was a, a company right um so that's kind of the first way I, I see it being possible. The second way, and this is even more outlandish, 
is because of the way AI is going, and there's, there's a very healthy debate of are we going to die first before AI kicks in really, are we not? I think I'm on the optimistic side of that, and so I probably see it as maybe inventing myself as an AI that helps people. Like even like having a company that has me as an AI that's a servant to people. Like I, I want to accept the fact that I am going to die one day, but still have something that outlives me that I've achieved that helps this world, this world and this earth over time. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, in addition to you leaving a long lasting legacy, um, unfortunately, Kaz and Beard, we've come to a kind of, I think the one hour mark or there thereafter that yeah. uh, we wrap this thing up. Yeah. Uh, well, you late to your Blue Man Group audition or something or what? <laughs> yeah, and I bet girls tell you that you're a really nice guy too. But uh, Mr. Kaz, thank you so much for uh, you know not only joining us but your bravery and and coming on the show today and sharing um, a lot about you. And I hope you had a little bit of fun. Um, and we wish you the best of uh, wishes moving forward. I gotta turn this off. It's freaking me out. Yeah. Thank you so much. No, it's been my pleasure being here, guys. I mean, listening to the both of you kind of just chat shit basically between each other, but then also have the you know the positive kind of jump jumps in between the the, the more deep pieces. It's it's been really yeah. refreshing. So yeah, thank well, you thank guys. Thank you. Well, it's been a pleasure for us, and you know, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, and uh, thank you for sharing us sharing with us your success your journey and, and definitely your personal life and uh and i think the show uh, has a lot in it uh, when when we talk about business but there's also the uh, motivational factor and some of the deeper mm. things that we all experience as leaders and entrepreneurs that uh that we, we really we really got into and uh, uncovered so thank you for sharing that with us absolutely well, hey kaz before we let you go um there is one more question i need to ask and uh, we do this at the end of every show. I know you're a listener and a fan, so I know you're aware of this, but let me just recap. Um, I am up. That is, Bald is uh, taking a one-point lead over Beardo. Yep. Um, so I'm just going to ask you point blank, bro. Uh, Beard or Bald? Well, hey, hey, hey wait, wait a second. You know, I, I know Scott regained <laughs> the lead, Cass, you know, and I don't get it, but just when I think I have taken a big enough lead and he would disappear, he comes right back. Scott's like, you know, Furbies <laughs> are for po podcasters or something. That's not right. Oh, I... That was a horrible last-ditch effort. But uh, Kaz, here we speak. And you and I talk off air before he joined us, uh, so he doesn't even know that that you agree with me. But uh, doesn't he look just a little bit like the kind of guy who's in a platonic long-term relationship with a blue-haired radical feminist? These <laughs> hipster jokes today, I love them. Uh, anyway, let's get it. back to the question at hand. Um, and Kaz, before you uh, answer this, and I don't want you to be late for tea time, um, just remember who you're. <laughs> Your ultra endurance uh, friend and partner in the U.S. is, but uh, just you know, depending on what you select, beard or bald, the answer will determine who hosts the podcast not only next week, uh, but also at the end of 2019. Um, the loser will, uh, if it's beard, he'll have to shave his head and beard. Or if I lose, which will not happen, and I know you're going to contribute to this victory, um, I will have to grow a beard um, and actually grow my hair out. Yeah, well, that'll be, that'll be a challenge. So, Cass, what's it going to be, man? Beard or bald? Um, well, on the basis that I'm struggling to grow a beard, but I know that I will be bald one day because of uh, looking at my genetics, even though it kind of scares me, I am going to go for bald today. Yeah! Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and oh. there you have it. Bald takes a 
two-point lead on Chewy. And let me just remind everybody uh, before we exit the show, please subscribe to uh, hashtag biz with beard and bald at anchor.fm backslash biz with beard and bald or listen to us anywhere you get your podcasts. And uh, please share um, our effort and our shows and our journey as well as all of our guests on all of your social media pages. Yeah, absolutely. And don't forget, while you're there, we want you to subscribe. Uh, if you want to feature your business by sponsoring a future episode or help support the show, all you have to do is hit listener support, and we can feature you or your business at the beginning of the show. Thanks again, Kaz, for joining us today. And uh, is there anything else you wanted to add to the show or plug before we let you go, sir? Uh, I think that's it for me. Okay. Apart from, make sure you watch this next episode or I'm going to bring Brexit to the States. There that's you. it. <laughs> uh, thanks again, Cass. And remember, every genius idea starts with a stroke of a beard. And good Lord, beard, you're about to give us all a stroke. So uh, there you <laughs> have it. I had a beard. Another show is in the books, but have no fear, beard and bald will always be here. So until next time, folks, same bald head, same beard channels. Good afternoon, and thank you for listening to Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald. Remember, bald is beautiful. Hey, Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald fans. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. It was brought to you by ACS Executives. Let me ask you something. As an entrepreneur or business owner, are you tired of struggling with running your business? Do you feel you can drive more revenue, improve your profits, and run more efficiently if you had a little help? Well, you are not alone, and there is a solution for you. Like many small businesses, as the owner, you wear a lot of hats. And why wouldn't you? You started this thing, so you were very careful and particular about it. Well, at ACX Executives, we do a deep dive into your business to help your business grow revenues, improve profits, acquire capital, and run more efficiently. We just don't point out problems. We help you resolve them through our family of companies and the solutions they provide. We share some of the best practices and processes and coach you and your team through them. Our suite of quality products and services will help you get there quickly and smoothly. That's how we ensure your success. So visit us at acsexec.com or call us at 1-800-495-6505 and schedule a free 30-minute consulting assessment. Have a successful day and we hope you enjoy today's episode of Hashtag Biz with Beard and Bald.